Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike, and with me as always is your other co-host, John. John, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing all right, man. Um, just uh, a few more weeks left on the road. It's been a long haul. It's been a, a, a very uh, arduous one. Lots of shows, lots of performances and other stuff going on. I've been all over the South. I'm in S- I was in SEC country all last week, and now I am oh, in nice. ACC country. I'm here in Raleigh, North Carolina. So had a long, long drive last night and didn't sleep much. But, you know, we're here. I can't wait to get this get this going. Yeah, well, it's ACC country for now. We'll see. No, that's true. And we'll get to all that. We're, we're, we were debating whether or not we were going to talk about a little bit of expansion news. That's kind of there's some smoke, but I think we're going to probably wait until the offseason to kind of get dig yes. into that stuff. It's just to too big of a can of worms right there. So, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk. Should we talk a little news before we get into the bowl game previews? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Well... The cat is out of the bag and Minnesota defensive coordinator Joe Rossi has left Dinky Town to take the same job in East Lansing for Jonathan Smith's uh, staff there. Yeah. So, John, your thoughts? Well, uh, you know, I don't think either of us and I think most of, you know, Gopher fandom is an agreement that we all thought and knew Joe Rossi would leave at some point. Um, at sooner, some point. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and probably sooner than later, you know, maybe another year or so, or and even maybe this year, like wouldn't have been a surprise um, if he left for a head coaching job. Yes. That was what I was expecting, whether it was this year or next year. Um, and uh, that didn't happen. And, I think, and we've talked uh, before, and I know we discussed it on Twitter and things like that as well. Um, you know, it would have made a little sense to me, a lot more sense to me, if he became a defensive coordinator at a program like Penn State, um, something of that yes. caliber. Um, not to say I'm not trying to disparage uh, Michigan State, but no. But the seems- other time he was rumored to leave, it was for Notre Dame, so it was yeah. for a you know a big visibility program. Yes, and this is not a move to a bigger visibility program. Yeah. It does seem like a little bit more of a lateral move. I understand Sparty fans that there is a lot more money um, at Michigan state at this point in time that they're willing to pony up anyways. Um, And that makes sense, you know, dollars and cents that talks, man. So um, I get that, but it looks like, you know, just from, I guess my perspective as a gopher fan, which of course is biased to, to a degree here. Um, it just looks more like a lateral move. I mean, it's this literally the same job in the same conference. Yeah. That is the definition of a lateral move. And that's not saying that Michigan state is, or is not a better program. I know some Sparty fans would, like you said, have a little more NIL money to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, Minnesota's won more on the gridiron recently. So I would say they are comparable programs at least. Yeah. At this point, I would say they are for sure. Yeah, but, at least where we've been in recent in recent years, in the last five years or so. Obviously, the run under D'Antonio was something else, for and sure. It shows that you know it shows that when Michigan State is committed and clicking on all cylinders, they can win at a at a, at a very solid level. Mm-hmm. So, this is a great hire, I guess. If we have to, I guess we have to take it from that perspective too, huh, John? Yeah, this is a great hire for Michigan State. 
This is absolutely I mean, even defensive coordinator who's had two bad seasons and like several great seasons. Yep. It's it's very much a, it's a great hire. And, you know, I know there's like some shade thrown out there by I, think I saw like a Michigan fan trying to say talk about the Minnesota Michigan game of how how we got absolutely destroyed um, and, you know, putting that putting that on Joe Rossi. But, you know, and yes, he did. There was a down year this year, but Minnesota was decimated by injuries um, all season yeah. long. And so there's really only so much Joe Ross, especially on defense. Yes, exactly. So never fear Sparty fans. You have a good one. Um, he is going to be able to work with your talent and he's going to be able to do some pretty great things. So you should yeah. be very, very happy with this hire. He will be great for the next year or two until he goes and becomes a head coach in the Mac or something like that. Yeah, that's where I expect him to inevitably end up here soon. Yeah, he, he, he will have deserved it when he gets there. For sure. <laughs> All right. In other news, five-star QB recruit Dylan Rayola. Is it Rayola? 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 I'm not even Re- sure. Ricola? Anyway. <laughs> anyway, he is allegedly on the verge of flipping his recruitment to Nebraska mm-hmm. from Georgia which if that happens, that would be obviously a big get for Nebraska. And he's not the only quarterback co- commit that Nebraska might be getting. Yeah. Um, and then they've got a transfer portal. John, who's uh, Nebraska been fishing for in the transfer portal? Well, Nebraska has been fishing for and very well might get uh, Ohio State's Kyle McCord, which, wow. I mean, and... That's a it, big one. It's huge. It's huge, you know, and don't let li- and Husker fans don't listen to Buckeye fans about, you know, just because he's not CJ Stroud does not mean this guy isn't incredible. Kyle McCord is a very good college quarterback. Yes. Very good. So, for all we know, um Husker fans, you know, you you guys might have just struck gold twice. Um and you got you got a great guy, a great transfer portal quarterback possibly coming in. And you've got an amazing recruit that seems to be heading your direction as well yeah. to be able to develop under him, which is huge. So one year rental and the quarterback of the future. That's that's big. That's huge. Absolutely. Now, you know, and then just build around that and you could see the Huskers really making a go for it in the Big Ten again. Yeah, I mean, if if they really do get Kyle McCord, I mean, obviously, I don't know he's going to put up the same kind of stats at in Lincoln that he would in Columbus just because there are different sets of playmakers there. Sure. But Kyle McCord will immediately elevate the floor and the ceiling of that offense. hundred percent. As soon as he walks in there. So that's, that's a big get. If he, if he does go to Nebraska, if I were Ohio state, I'd be trying to get Kyle McCord to stay, to be totally honest with you. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's funny how Urban Meyer flat out said that he just thought it was ridiculous um, that, you know, to send Kyle McCord going down the road. I think it is. too. Yeah. I think I don't think he's you've said this. Um, and I think both of us have agreed that it, he's not done developing. Um, no. And he's got all the tools, man. Um, That's the thing about college players. They're young. They can get better every year. Yeah. And We've he was seen by no means bad. No, he was great. He was really good. He almost beat Michigan. Like he had some chances to do it, you know, and and he won eleven other games. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, man. So good for you, Husker fans. Be excited. I'm not, you know, obviously it hasn't happened yet, so maybe it won't. Um, but it seems like the fact that you're even in the conversation is a big deal. Yeah, taking a lot of momentum in a national signing day there for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, John, is there any announcement you want to make before we get into these bowl game preps? Yes, as always. These uh, what did I say? These bowl game preps? This bowl game prep. There we yeah. go. I can talk. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, well, we got, we got a lot of bad news, man. It's been a rough like 24 hours. So Yeah, it's, okay. it's true. Yeah, as go for fans, it's it's a little rough right now. We're a little scared, but it's okay. We're on it. Um, we'll do the best we can here tonight for you guys. Anyway, <laughs> on to this. Um, if you want to find... Bowl Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> if you want to find We Live for Saturday, uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at We Live for B1G Sat. And you can also email us, We Live for Saturday, B1G at gmail.com. Awesome. All right. Let's get into what truly is the most wonderful time of the year. But first of all, I want to thank all the listeners. John, this is our 26th episode. That's awesome. Wow. So I meant to say something on the 25th episode. Uh, forgot. But this is our 26th episode. So for everyone who's been listening to us, now that we are about you know three, four months into this thing, and on our 26th episode, we really appreciate you listening. And share it with your friends, you know, let people know that this is your go-to Big Ten college football podcast. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Awesome. All right. Let's get into bowl game prep. We'll get you ready for all of these bowl games. John, it truly is the most wonderful time of the year. So I'm excited. We're going to take these in order. We've got right off the bat, the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl. So we've got eight and four Pac-12 rep Utah versus seven and five Big Ten rep Northwestern. This game is played on Saturday or will be played on Saturday, December 23rd at 6.30 p.m. on ABC. God's time. That's central time, folks. Whenever we talk on this podcast, we're talking in God's time. So that's how we roll. That's All right. The line is Utah by six and a half. This game will be played in Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium, which is home to both the Las Vegas Raiders and UNLV Running Rebels. Total yards, uh, average Utah averaged 360 to Northwestern's 305. Yards against, Utah's allowing 309 to Northwestern's 352. So those numbers favor Utah over Northwestern a little bit. Um, Utah QB Bryson Barnes is in the transfer portal, John, but he is still playing in the bowl game. Wow. That's a big deal for Utah as he started all year in place of the injured cam rising. So Barnes will leave, but not until the bowl game is done. So that's a big, that's a big deal for Utah that they have him for this game. Um, that said, as far as opt outs, wide receiver, Utah wide receiver, Devon Vale will not play in the bowl game. And he had 593 yards and three touchdowns this year. So that's a loss. Uh, Northwestern has no significant opt-outs as the good feels continue for Big Ten Coach of the Year, David Braun. Um, For Northwestern, QB Ben Bryant finished with 1,585 yards passing on 62% completion, 6.5 yards per attempt, 11 TDs, and six interceptions. You'll remember Bryant missed several games 
in which Brandon Sullivan was a capable replacement as he put up roughly similar numbers to what Bryant did. Um, It took Cam Porter a long time to get going at running back, but once Northwestern finally got its run game going, he had some good games. He finished with 618 yards on four yards per rush and four TDs. Uh, Cam Johnson at wide receiver at 684 yards on 13.7 yards per catch. Kurtz had 633 yards and Henning had 361. So they all had pretty good seasons there. And on D, linebacker Bryce Gallagher finished the year with 110 tackles one sack, two passes defended, one pick. So great year for Gallagher. Um, On Utah side, uh, QB Bryson Barnes had 1,517 yards passing on 59% completions this year, 12 TDs, but nine interceptions. So Bryson Barnes will put the ball in harm's way. The Cats will need to exploit that if they're going to have a chance to win in this game, I believe. Um, Jaquindon Jackson and Jalon Glover provided a good one-two punch at running back with 4.8 and 4.2 yards per rush, respectively. Jackson had 742 yards to Glover's 513, so they've got a solid duo there. And Devon Vale led Utah in receiving, so it's a big loss that he isn't playing in the bowl game. Utah will have to lean on their depth to get the job done with wide receivers Money Parks, Mikey Matthews, and Munir McLean. Money Parks, John. That's an all-name team candidate. Oh, We've got a great. few of these in bowl, tri- in bowl prep, so I always Love get it. excited about those. And on D, safety Cole Bishop had a nice year with 60 tackles, three sacks, three passes defended, and two interceptions. He was fierce in run support. John, what are some of your thoughts on this game? Well, this is exciting, man. I mean, just the whole Northwestern story this year has been incredible. Um, you know, from looking like it was just so dark in August to everything just turning out the way it has with, with Braun um, becoming the head coach. I mean, it was a Disney movie. It is. It absolutely is, man. You know, and, and this is, this is incredible. So I, I am, you know, this, this uh, Northwestern team should just be very proud to be there. They should, you know, I think they have a shot, you know, it's, it's hard because you're going up against a, a, a solid, you know, a really well coached team. You know, Whittingham yeah. is an excellent coach and he's been there a long time. And so I think that this is, you know, this is going to be a real test for Braun, you know, and it would just be kind of the, you know, icing on the cake if he somehow wins uh, his first bowl game as a power five head coach. You know, can he can he keep this momentum, this Cinderella season going in the, in that direction? It would be really, really amazing to see that. Um and I'm also curious as far, when it comes to Utah and the reason I'm, I'm kind of I'm leaning a little bit towards um, the Wildcats is because I, I'm wondering how many Utah has been just decimated by injuries all season. Yep. That's and true. how many of these players are actually coming back from in, from injury? I don't know. And and obviously you talked about you touched on as well the the some of the players that are heading out because of the transfer portal. So. Um, I know I'm looking to see that, see uh, how many starters will be back for Utah um, off of the the injury list. But and then uh, also, I think um, it's a it's what I'm a little worried about when it comes to Northwestern and David Braun is this is a really early bowl game. Like it's it's at the beginning of the bowl season. So there's not a ton of prep time. And so I'm I'm a little concerned in that regard. And seeing if that could hurt Northwestern, going against obviously a well-coached team with Whittingham, who's he's been here before. Yeah, absolutely. I think I agree with you. I think that Utah missing its top receiver definitely gives Northwestern a chance to compete in this game. 
Um, my fear, though, is that Utah will win the line of scrimmage battle mm-hmm. and that the game will be decided there. Northwestern is a solid team, but I'm not sure that they have the physicality to stand up for four quarters against a grinding, powerful Utah attack. That's true. So that's my that's my concern. If Northwestern is going to lose this game, I think they're going to lose it because they can't com- they can't com- fully compete in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I think if Ben Bryant is effective, if he can limit mistakes, you know, Northwestern absolutely has to win the turnover battle if they're going to have a chance in this one, I think. But Bryant can make plays and Northwestern is good at kind of throwing caution to the wind and just going and getting it. Yeah, absolutely. So I could see them being pretty effective there. Um, yeah. Here's my question. How focused is Bryson Barnes? Because he's playing in this game, but he's in the transfer portal working to leave at the same time. That's a good point. So will he will he have his full focus and preparation on this game? Because if not, he could turn the ball over a few times and that would give Northwestern a real chance here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that and, you know, I think Utah came into this season with obviously higher aspirations as well and then ending up in the Las Vegas Bowl. And <clears throat> um, it does make you wonder, yep, at, at the, the the starting quarterback, how focused he will be. But also, is this like a just like a, a really a, a bad consolation prize for, for Utah? Are they not even motivated? Because I know Northwestern will be. Oh, yeah. Northwestern will bring it. Absolutely. We've seen right. how that goes. Yeah. No, for sure. All right. Should we pick this? Yeah. Okay. Ultimately, I think the line of scrimmage disparity is just too much. I think Northwestern's a plucky team. I think it'll be close throughout. But ultimately, I just think Northwestern is going to wear down in the second half. And Utah is going to grind them a little bit. So I've got the Utah Utes 28, Northwestern Wildcats 17. Okay. I think all of that is valid. Um, I I just, I believe, I believe in Braun. I believe that this is like going to keep moving forward, this momentum. I know that this could totally bite me in the ass, but I'm, I just do, man. I think that they're hungry. I think Braun is hungry. I think he's just going to have these guys playing out of their minds. And if I hadn't seen it happen this season, you know, the way it has, I, you know, I may have, I may be more cautious and, and be picking Utah, but I, I've got Northwestern, man. I've got Northwestern. Ooh. Yeah. All right. 23 Utah 17. Nice. All right. We already disagree. I like that. Yeah. We will come back after the bowls and talk about who was right and who was wrong. <laughs> that is a promise. We'll have that discussion. All right. Should we move on to the next one? Let's do it. We've got the Quick Lane Bowl. This is played at Ford Field, the home of the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions own, host, and operate this game in partnership with Quick Lane Tire and Auto Center. The 7-5 and five, uh, Bowling Green are playing against the 5-7 and seven Minnesota Golden Gophers on Tuesday December 26th at 1 p.m. on ESPN. The line is Minnesota by three and a half. 
Uh, transfer portal, Minnesota missing starting QB, Ethan Kaliak Manis, who is Portland and is out, and also backup running back Zach Evans. Uh, Bowling Green is without number two running back, Tayron Keith, who is used as a weapon both in the running and passing game coming out of the backfield. So that's a loss for them. Also, quarter or cornerback, excuse me, Jalen Husky will not play. Uh, he was third in tackles and tied for the lead in interceptions. So these are big opt-outs for both teams. And it's also unclear for Minnesota about whether Tyler Newbin or Brethren span forward. I wouldn't be surprised if those guys opt out of this game too. Mm-hmm. Um, total yards. Bowling Green allowed 300 or Bowling Green averaged 328 yards per game to Minnesota's 303. Yards allowed, Bowling Green had 330 to Minnesota's 374. So similar offenses, but Minnesota has had the leakier defense relatively. Of course, Minnesota also plays in the Big Ten, which is a better conference than the MAC. So it's kind of tough to compare numbers across these conferences sometimes, I think. Um, QB Connor Bazelak had 1,714 yards passing on 61% completion, 7.1 yards per attempt. 11 TDs, but seven picks, which wasn't great there. So he will put the ball in danger. Um, Terion Stewart led Bowling Green with 762 yards rushing at 6.1 yards per rush and eight TDs. So those are monster numbers, especially with the yards per rush there. Um, So he's an impressive player. At tight end, Harold Fannin had a big year with 573 yards receiving. Well, wide receiver Odoo Hillier was a consistent contributor. With Tehran Keith out, they have to throw the ball more to their other targets. On D, linebacker Darren Anders had 83 tackles and four and a half sacks with two passes defended, so a big year for him. And for Minnesota, uh, career backup quarterback Cole Kramer will play. He only had one attempt this year, which was an interception, but has played a lot in the past, uh, most notably as the Wildcat QB for a couple years. For his career, he's 8 of 14 for 57% completions on 7.4 yards per attempt, two TDs, and two picks. Kramer will get the most action he's ever gotten in this bowl game, and there is no way to predict how well or poorly he will play. He looked great in the spring game last year, but looked awful in a tight spot against North Carolina this year. I would expect, John, for Minnesota to lean on its running game. Yes. Um, hopefully Darius Taylor will be back healthy for this game as he was great when he was healthy with 591 yards and 5.7 yards per rush. The problem is he was hurt for over half the year, including the last several games. Um, they could really use him back to juice this offense, John. Yeah. That would make a big difference. Um, otherwise it will be the Jordan Newbin show and he only averages 4.3 yards per rush. So he's not the same kind of dynamic weapon that Darius is if Jordan is the lead back in this game that really favors Bowling Green in my opinion Mm -hmm. at wide receiver Daniel Jackson's the stars he had 831 yards on the year for 14.6 yards per catch and eight TDs Corey Crooms another target in the slot but he also dropped a lot of balls this year and on D safety Tyler Newbin had a huge year with 53 tackles a sack four passes defended five picks a forced fumble and a fumble recovery Newman filled up the stat sheet in a pretty solid um, senior year, although he did he did have some key mistakes. That's also true, but overall was a really good player, and I think was just named second team All American. So congratulations to Tyler. Um, I really hope he plays in this game. I don't know if he's going to, 
John, what are your thoughts? Yeah, <clears throat> when it comes to Minnesota, there's just so many question marks like we like you just went over whether or not, you know, we have well first of course with the quarterback Kramer as we have seen, you know, in in the spring game last year, uh, the how well he he looked incredible. He looked I mean, great. He looked, he looked phenomenal. Great. And and who knows, maybe if he comes out playing loose like that and just, you know, nothing to lose this is his last collegiate football game, like what does he have yep. to lose? Who knows? He, like he has talent um and we'll see you know and the the thing i like about him too is i do think he is um i don't know if he has the speed but i feel like he's a better runner than than ethan um and yeah, his I better think, instincts yes he sees the field a little bit better than ethan did when it comes to that um so we'll see uh i think it, it could be great or it could be a total disaster there's really no middle ground with that um, where I would feel better, and I do think it would give a significant edge to Minnesota, is if Darius does play. Um, even if he comes in on just limited snaps, like I would still feel better about Minnesota's chances if he comes in just uh, on a limited basis. Um, <clears throat> but we will see when it comes to that. Um, I do have concerns as well defensively with Minnesota, as we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. How is the loss of Joe Rossi going to affect this team defensively um, in this game? Um, is it, you know, I, I don't know. I really don't know what to expect. There's just so many questions, question marks with Minnesota. I mean, I imagine the game plan is already largely in place. Yes. So I, I don't think for this, I mean, going forward and depending on who replaces him, it could be a bit, you know, that's going to be a conversation about how that'll look. But you would think in this one game, it would probably be fine. Yeah, you would think. And I hope so. I hope. Yeah, I hope that is the case. And uh, I do think, you know, Bowling Green, they have I think they have one of uh, they have a really good uh, defense and their special teams is good. They did lose their top defensive player um, to the transfer portal. And I think this is their first winning season since like 2015 or something like that. Yeah, they've been down. Yeah, but they've got a two QB system. um, Yeah, but they rely a lot on that running game. But they have and they have like three different backs that I think are are like very each one is like a different skill set. So. Um, and their defense is is really good. They're really good at generating turnovers. And, um, you know, I think it's 16 INTs, I think, and 11 recovered fumbles. So That's it's impressive. a solid team, man. This is a solid MAC team. Yeah. No, they're a very, very, very solid MAC team. Um, Minnesota with a backup quarterback. This is definitely a challenging matchup. I kind of coming back to the number one note I had was does Darius Taylor finally play? Yeah. If so, Minnesota should win this game handily mm-hmm. if not it is much more of a toss-up he is that much of a difference maker absolutely um because if taylor doesn't play that's going to put a lot more pressure on cole kramer in the passing game and this is not a game where you want to put too much on cole kramer's plate you know i feel like you want to pass enough to keep rolling green honest and hit some chunk plays but this is going to be a run first offense even more than it usually is probably oh yeah so and who else who steps up to make plays for Bowling Green with two of their top three playmakers out of this game? I think that's a question is who's who's going to make those plays for Bowling Green as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and can Minnesota get Daniel Jackson going? That's going to be really important. So you don't put the pressure on the running game. And I think regardless of how much we pass or don't pass, Daniel Jackson's the guy who has to get going in the passing game. Yeah, 100%. 
It'd be nice to see Kramer or uh, I mean Spencer or you know Crooms look a little bit better, like we also saw in the in the spring game. But you know, yes. it, but it's got to start with Jack, Daniel Jackson and. I don't know because you got it. You got to get Kramer comfortable. You got to you know give give him some confidence early on, and and Jackson is your best bet thrown to him. Yeah, agree. Um, my last question for this game is: Can Minnesota's defense get healthy enough to put up a better showing than they did down the stretch of the season? Had the massive injuries at linebacker and DB. Will they get some of these guys back? That could also decide who wins this game. Hmm. Is Lindenberg going to play? Is Baranowski going to play? You know, and yeah. I don't know. That's 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 it's rough, man. And um, who else did? Uh, who else went out in that last game? Wally and Watson. That's right. At yeah. corner. So there you go. Um, so I would assume those guys play, but I mean they better because yep. we were trotting Tyler Bride out there, and like I'm not hating on Tyler Bride, but if we're just putting Tyler Bride out there and hoping for things to work out, it's, it's not going to work out. Yep. A lot of question marks, man, about Minnesota. I think if they're healthy, it shouldn't be Minnesota should win this game. Um, yes, absolutely. But if not, I, I don't have a good feeling about it. Yeah. Um. So I am picking this game thinking that with all the time off, I think Minnesota will be healthy. Yeah. I think Darius will play. I think they'll have some guys on defense. Guys will get, and this could be, the best the defense has looked since early in the season before all the injuries. Mm-hmm. So I've got the Minnesota golden Gophers 27 bowling green 16. Okay. <clears throat> I've got, it's a little less, but it's similar score. I've got the Minnesota golden Gophers 23 and bowling green 14. And Bowling Green, they are the Falcons. I yes, forgot that are. off the top of my head. They are the Falcons. Yeah. So I didn't want to forget that. Wait. So I just totally... Wow, John. Say your <laughs> score again. 23 to 14, Minnesota. Okay. You do have them winning. I think Dragon gets some, gets some field goals in there. We want to see that leg again, you know? Like, oh, yeah. The kicker of the year. Congrats to him as well. Yeah, let's We definitely it. want to see him get going. All right. Moving on, we've got the Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Let me just, I just want to say one thing before we get started. And I, and this, is, this is not a reflection of the teams that are playing at all. No. We should never be playing on baseball fields. It just shouldn't happen. There should ever. be no football games ever on a baseball field, period. I apologize. I'm I'm saying sorry to the teams that have to do it because we did that last year, and I think we did it what two years ago as well. Some in Arizona, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, so I apologize to Rutgers for even having to go and do this and play this game, and it's it's and Miami, uh, both of you. So anyway, that's all. That's why I said that. John Michael Schmitz basically said I would play in the bowl game, but I'm not playing on that surface. Yep. Like he showed up and looked at that service and was like, yeah, not going to happen. So no, we should not be playing bowl games in baseball stadiums. It's dangerous. Yes. People are at increased risk of injury. And also the play is sloppy and bad because people can't keep their footing. Yep. So they're constantly sliding around and it's, it's, it's both dangerous and it's not aesthetically pleasing. Please for the love, like, 
that's the problem with not having like a central body governing college football because mm-hmm. there should just be a blanket ban on bowl games and baseball stadiums. It should totally just be agree. against the rule. Totally agree. All right. That said, this game is going to be played on <laughs> Thursday, December 28th at 1.15 p.m. on ESPN. This is uh, the 6-6 six and six Rutgers Scarlet Knights from the Big Ten against the 7-5 and five Miami Hurricanes from the ACC. The line is Miami negative two opt-outs for Rutgers. We've got cornerback Max Melton and offensive tackle Kamar Missouri. And for Miami, we've got QB Tyler Van Dyke is in the portal. So that's a massive loss. Also wide receiver Colby Young, safety James Williams, safety Cameron Kitchens, edge Jafari Harvey, linebacker Corey Flagg, and defensive tackle Leonard Taylor. So ton of guys missing for this game, especially a lot of opt-outs for Miami. Yeah. So the portal opt-outs seem to favor Rutgers a bit, I would say. Like a considerable bit. Yeah. Um, total yards, Rutgers averages 307 to Miami's 441. Yards allowed, Rutgers 314 to Miami's 324. Uh, for Rutgers, QB Gavin Wimsat had an up-and-down year, completing just 48% of his passes for 1,651 yards and 6.6 yards per attempt, nine TDs, and eight costly picks. Wimsat's legs were a positive, but his arm was a net negative this year. There's no question about that. Rutgers is dependent on star running back Kyle Manungai, who had 1,099 yards rushing on 5.1 yards per rush and seven TDs. Monster year from Manungai. Manungai. And also, Manungai, I saw on Twitter, he announced he's coming back next year. Yeah, that's amazing. Good for you. So that's a big deal for Rutgers. Yeah, that's a big deal for Rutgers having the focal point of the offense coming back for another year. Um, We've wide receivers, Christian Dremel, Jaquay Jackson, Isaiah Washington led Rutgers in receiving, but ultimately this was a run first, second and third kind of team. Safety flip Dixon had a monster year with 70 tackles, four passes defended and an interception. Huge year from the Minnesota transfer. For Miami, it'll be up to backup Emery Williams, who completed 62% of his passes for 6.6 yards per attempt, three TDs, and one pick in spot duty. We'll be up to him to command the offense, and it's tough to predict how that will go because these backup quarterbacks just don't play very much. So then when they are going to play, we it's kind of like the Minnesota Bowling Green game. We don't – could Cole Kramer look great? He could look great. Could Emery Williams look great? He could look great, or they could look terrible. You know, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry Parrish, Mark Fletcher, and Donald Cheney were a one, two, three punch at RB as all three ended up around 500 yards rushing and were all pretty successful running the ball. Miami will want to get its ground game going without its starting quarterback for sure. At wide receiver, all name team candidate Xavier Restrepo, Jacoby George, and Collie Young lead Miami at wide receiver. The Hurricanes put up a lot of passing yards this year, but how successful will they be without their starting QB? John, what are your thoughts on this game? Um, yeah, I think this this really leans in Rutgers' favor. Uh, Miami is just getting nailed. Um, they already had a lot of some pre existing injuries, some key pre existing injuries, and then now with the the portal just absolutely decimating them, I think it's going to be tough. Um, I think uh, you know on offense when it comes to Rutgers, like you just just get Kyle Manunga going. Um, but as we said already, that might yeah. be a little tougher on this field um, for both him and Wimsat to be able to run and get that, that game going. But I think it's possible. Uh, I think their offensive line is going to be able to help make that happen. Um, And as long as Wimsat is just 
average at best and can protect the ball pretty well, I think, you know, that also gives uh, Rutgers offense um, a, a leg up there. So, but defensively for Miami is where I see things really troublesome for, for Miami and where I think uh, you know, Rutgers is really going to be able to take advantage is they're, they're just extremely thin at defensive end. They've got two starters already out due to the season ending injuries. And now they have three to three uh, DNs to the portal. They're left with a true freshman Collins. I'm not going to say this right. Akimpong. I know I'm not saying that right, but AC. He's a true freshman. He's a true freshman. Trying to to walk in and play and he hasn't been playing. Yes. And then uh, Ruben Bain, um, who's good. And then and uh, Jaden Wayne. And, you know, it basically what this looks like is it's Bain is going to have to have a big game to keep Miami in this. And, you know, stopping Menongai is obviously going to be key. And as we've seen, you know, throughout the season, if you can do that, you pretty much can you can beat Rutgers. That's just the way it is. But yeah. And and then Rutgers defense, I think is just they're going to be able to keep Miami in check the whole game. I don't is if they show up the way they've been. And I think they're solid. They're stout. They're going to be able to shut down, keep the run in check in the passing game, especially, I think, without uh, without Van Dyke. I think they're going to be really they're going to have a good shot. So I think I think it leans pretty strongly in favor of Rutgers at this point. Yeah, I agree with you on the Miami thing. I say, can my first note was, can they withstand all the opt outs? What does their depth look like? And it doesn't mm-hmm. look good. No, you know, so they're in a lot of trouble there. Um, can Rutgers run the ball? If so, they can win the game. Yep. If not, it could be a long day. That's how it goes for a lot of Rutgers games. But I think it's especially essential in this game that they get Kyle Manungai going early and often if they're going to win. Um, ultimately, what does this Miami backup QB look like? If he's efficient, that's a bonus for the Canes. But if he's shaky, it could be Rutgers game to lose. So ultimately, there's just too many question marks for Miami, I think, for me to pick them in this game. Yeah, same. So I've got... The Rutgers Scarlet Knights, 21. The Miami Hurricanes, 17. Okay. I've got the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, 21. Miami Hurricanes, 10. Oh, so you're thinking pretty convincing. Yeah, I just think I think Rutgers defense is going to still is going to play really well here. I yep. think they're going to I don't think Miami's offense is, is going to be able to make much happen at all. Um, I could see that. I could see that, especially with Tyler Van Dyke out. It could be ugly. Yeah. And Miami's used to putting up a lot of offensive numbers. And if they don't, that just plays into the game script Rutgers wants to play. Yep. All right. Moving on. We've got the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic played at AT&T Stadium, the home of the Dallas Cowboys. This is This game will be played on Friday, December 29th at 7 p.m. on ESPN. The 10 and 2, number 9 ranked Missouri Tigers, the SEC, versus the 11 and 1, number 7 ranked Ohio State Buckeyes of the Big Ten. The line, and this shocked me, John, is Mizzou negative 2.5. Wow. Opt outs, Missouri, but here's probably part of why. Opt outs, Missouri, no significant players. Hmm. Ohio State, QB Kyle McCord, wide receiver Julian Fleming. Numerous other opt outs are possible including Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, tight end Kate Stover, cornerback Denzel Burke, and basically the entire starting defensive line. We don't know who's going to play and, and who is. So that's the big difference in this game, and I think that's why Mizzou is favored. We just don't know who will and won't play in this game for Ohio State. 
Um, my guess is players will decide whether to play on a case by case basis and Ohio state will end up with some of these guys playing, but others of them sitting out would be my guess. Um, you'd like guys to play in this since it's the cotton bowl, which is a prestigious new year's six game, but Ohio state was thinking playoffs or bus and their starting QB is already in the portal. So that makes it more likely other guys skip out too, in my opinion. Uh, Mizzou QB Brady Cook threw for a gaudy 3,189 yards on 9.1 yards per attempt, 20 TDs, and just six interceptions. He did take 20 sacks, though, so that might be something Ohio State's D-line can exploit, provided they actually play in this game. (laughs) Running back Cody Schrader had nearly 1,500 yards rushing on an impressive six yards per rush and 13 TDs. He's a formidable talent. But the star of the offense is all-world wide receiver Luther Burden, who had just under 1,200 yards receiving on an impressive 14.4 yards per catch and eight TDs. He is an absolute force to be reckoned with. Um, Theo Weiss is a nice wide receiver too, and they have a couple other guys who contribute as well. So really nice set of skill players for Missouri. For Ohio State, it will likely be the Devin Brown show at QB. Brown lost the job to McCord, but was twenty or 12 for 22 for 197 yards on 55% completions. Nine yards per attempt, two TDs, and one pick in spot time. Brown will have to adjust to the starting role quickly and play well if Ohio State is going to keep up with Mizzou's prolific offense. Uh, Running back Travion Henderson is a rock star at 854 yards and 6.2 yards per rush. It's really big having him play in this game. And it sounds like he is going to play in this game from what I'm hearing. Uh, The question then is whether Bolitnikoff winner and Heisman finalist Wide receiver Marvin Harrison will play in this game. He's the best player in the country. So if he plays, that's a big boon to the Buckeyes. I'm guessing, I think that Marv wants to play. You can tell he wants to play, but mm-hmm. I'm guessing that his people are going to talk him into sitting out. Yeah. Which is I just kind of too bad. Yeah. Um, they'll need a big game from Cade Stover and Emeka Ibuka. Both had really solid years. Stover with 576 yards and Ibuka with 452. And on D, linebacker Tommy Eichenberg had a monster year with 80 tackles and a sack. Um, John, what are you thinking about this game? Yeah, this is going to be a great game, man. This is uh, two very talented teams. Um, I do think, like you said, what this comes down to, I totally agree, is is who's going to show up and actually play for Ohio State. Um, And, you know, looking at the QB situation, you know, Devin Brown, I know he's he's very talented. He's a freak athlete and all that. Um, but I was looking, I was doing some reading and when I was doing some research on this. And there's a lot of uh, Buckeye fans that want Lincoln Ke- uh, Keenholz or Keinholz. Um, oh, really? Yeah, they, they want. Yeah, there's a lot of fans out there, apparently, that uh, that want to see the future. Um, you know, obviously, they want to bring in some some big name transfer, but they want to get him ex- some some real experience and, and see what he looks like. <clears throat> see what he looks like. Um, obviously. Is there any chance that's going to happen? I don't know. I mean, if Devin Brown, you know, falls flat on well. face and doesn't yeah. play well, you know, that it's very possible. I could see Ryan Day doing that, throwing him in there. Yeah. What else, you know, what else you got to lose? Um, so it'll be a long off season if Ryan Day loses this game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's already going to be a long off season, but this is just going to make it even that much worse for, for him and, and, uh, Buckeye fans. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's Mizzou's offense is, is really good. I mean, they, they, I think you, you probably touched on this, but averaging the, they're the fifth most yards, with uh, 442.9 yards, and they have that dope walker finalist running back Cody Schrader as well. Um, you know, it's 
There's a lot of weapons on this team. And if they're all coming in and they're going to be playing in this game, this is going to be a really tough out for the Buckeyes. And defensively as well, man. I mean, Mizzou is not just a – they work well on both sides of the ball. And they've got DB Chris Abrams, um, Abrams Drain, and, you know, tied for the SEC in passes defended uh, while posting for INTs. Um, And then they also have D-lineman Darius Robinson, who was fifth in the conference with seven and a half sacks. So yeah. this is a really good Missouri team. And Ohio State, if you show up and you have players that don't opt out, um, you, I think, will be able to win. Um, but if not, this could be, un- you know, like you said, this could be an even longer offseason for Ohio State. I'll tell you what. I remember in August when Missouri coach Eli Drinkwitz was on the hot seat. He is not on the hot seat anymore. Nor should he be. No, absolutely not. He's done a phenomenal job this year. Um, my question, ultimately, will the Buckeyes be motivated to play in a game that isn't a playoff game? Yeah. They did a good job coming back in the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago after having a flat first half, but it's a question of whether Day will be able to motivate this team. And I think I think that's a it's a real question. And I think, you know, honestly, it's going to be it's going to say a lot about Day and where he's at in this program if he can get his guys to come out and play hard or if he gets or if he just comes out and gets shelled or something. Do you think that's going to I mean, I know it will amongst the fan base, but do you think that might actually put some a little bit of heat under his seat if he loses? This I, game? He's lost to Michigan three years in a row. I think there is heat under his seat going into next year. Yeah. OK, because you can't you go one and four against Michigan. You know who went? two and 10 against Michigan, John Cooper. That's what they call John Cooper territory. And I just don't, I don't think, you know, Michigan should be down next year. Michigan should be not nearly as good next year as they are this year, just because this year they are historically good. Right. So if he can't beat them next year, then I think he's in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I do. I do think he's in a series. I do think his seat is a little warm going into the off season. Okay. What do you think? I mean, I think so too. I mean, I I think it definitely is. I I'm just like, but I, at the same time, it's so hard. Maybe it's just hard for me to fathom as as like his record's so good. Yeah, as a real like a normal college football fan, because I'm sorry, Buckeye fans, like you don't live in the same world that the majority of us do. You just don't. No, um, they live you, in a special place. Yes, and good for you. Yeah. Um, but the majority of college football fans in you know, that goes for every, all all of the FBS teams um, do not live in your world. Uh, there's there's a select few and you're one of them. Uh, so it's I guess for me, like it's hard to see like, you know, why fire him? Because his record is amazing. But I guess, you know, I'm trying to put myself in that the the seat of a an Ohio State Buckeye fan who is used to owning Michigan for the last decade or so. Yeah. And now when that's starting when the tables are starting to turn and it's and it's not it's not like a trade-off it's starting to get to be too consistent three years in a row yeah what do you do and after you're and if it's year four yeah i mean i guess and you and you're not making it into the playoff well which i guess next year they would um but still it's but uh, even so i yeah. the that's important and comp- contending in the playoff is important but they just they need to beat michigan for Ryan Day to really feel comfortable there, I think, in that seat. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I still think there's an alternate reality where Ryan Day gets pushed out after next year and they go back to Urban Meyer. 
<laughs> I mean, Urban keeps, you know, he keeps tabs on it all the he time. He does. You know, he does. You know, he probably regrets leaving. Oh, yeah. I bet he, and again, I mean, he's like, he's he's chiming in about the Kyle McCord thing, you know, and Ryan yeah. Day was his boy. He's not being quiet. No. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, should we pick this one? Let's do it. Okay. I think that Ryan Day is a really good coach, actually. I, I'm going to come down and say that I think he's a good coach and I think he's going to have his guys motivated for this game. I don't think that they're going to get off to a great start because I just don't think they're gonna. Um, but I think they will come back and they will look really good. And ultimately Ohio state just has too much talent. Um, and comp- as in comparison to Mizzou or in comparison to almost anybody, it's Ohio state. Mm-hmm. So I've got the Ohio state Buckeyes 31, the Mizzou Tigers, 23. Okay. Well, I I am of like mind. I, I feel like there will be more players playing. Um, not everybody. I do agree. I think Marvin Harrison is probably going to opt out because I think his people will strongly encourage that. Um, but I also see Ohio State pulling off the win. Um, I see... Ohio State, 28, Missouri, 20. All right. So you've got a, a similar eight-point win. Yeah. So we're seeing very similar games there. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on to the next bowl game. We're going to Saturday, December 30th. It's the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl played in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is home of the Atlanta Falcons and Atlanta United FC of Major League Soccer. The 10 and 2, number 11, Ole Miss Rebels playing against the t- also 10 and 2, number 10, Penn State Nittany Lions. This is an 11 a.m. kick on ESPN. The line is Penn State by three and a half. Opt outs, Ole Miss, no significant players that I could find. Penn State, star ch- edge rusher Chop Robinson is opting out. Um, Offensive tackle, Olu Fashanu, and cornerback uh, King may or may not opt out. It's unclear. Uh, John, did you see that Lane Kiffin uh, tweeted out to Chop Robinson and said, congratulated him on a great career at Penn State after he announced he wasn't playing in the game? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> He was like, "Hey, you have a, you do you go do great, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for not playing us." I really, I'm sorry, man. I really like Lane Kiffin. He's I really funny. do. He's funny, dude. He's legitimately amusing. <laughs> I thought that I thought that was hilarious. Um, oh, also, we should say, Penn State defensive coordinator Manny Diaz took the head coaching job at Duke. Yeah. Yes. So he yes. so he will not be coaching in this game. Um, so that's something to track as well. For sure. All right. Total yards. Ole Miss averages 456 yards of offense a game to Penn State's also impressive, but less eye popping 391 yards allowed. Ole Miss allows 372. Well, Penn State allows just 223, which is number one in the country in yards allowed for Penn State, which is really impressive. Um, so the offenses are similar, although Ole Miss runs a few more plays and puts up a little more stats. Um, Penn state has a far superior defense though. 
For Ole Miss, QB Jackson Dart's a legit threat with almost 3,000 yards passing on 65% completions, 9.4 yards per attempt, 20 TDs, and just five picks. That's a stellar year for Mr. Dart. He's also a threat with his legs with 377 yards rushing on the season. Running back Quinshawn Judkins, another all-name team candidate, leads the way for Ole Miss with 1,052 yards rushing on 4.4 yards per rush and 15 TDs. At wide receiver, they have three guys who can hurt you and Trey Harris, Dayton Wade, and Jordan Watkins. The tight end priest corn isn't bad either. On D, safety Trey Washington's having a huge year with 75 tackles, two passes defended, and three picks. For Penn State, QB Drew Aller had a really solid first season as starter with 2,336 yards passing on 61% completions, just 6.7 yards per attempt, but an incredibly impressive touchdown-interception ratio with 23 TDs and just one interception. That's really good. Hmm. Penn State wasn't explosive this year, but they were incredibly efficient offensively. Um, Katron Allen, Nicholas Singleton continued to be the two-headed monster at running back. Allen averages 5.3 yards per rush to Singleton's 4.3. At wide receiver, it's all about wide out star Keandre Lambert-Smith, who had 673 yards receiving this season. Expect the tight ends to contribute this week as well, or in this game as well, in Johnson and Warren. And linebacker Abdul Carter had a nice year with 46 tackles, four and a half sacks, four passes defended, and an interception. John, what are your thoughts on this game? Well, this is going to be another fun one. I think that it's really cool. You get to see this high-powered offense versus a top defense. And Mm -hmm. so it'll be really really interesting. I'm thinking, you know, getting to see this. uh, Because obviously the problem with Penn State's offense, if you're going to say there's like a real problem, it's their lack of uh, explosive plays. And, you know, even though they are efficient, um, and they're fantastic. They're really good. Um, it's not seeing those explosive plays and that's kind of what cost them, uh, in those games that they lost this season. And so I, you know, obviously, and also they were playing, you know, two of the best teams in the country, but, um, so that's, you know, that's tough, but it'll be this Ole Miss offense is definitely going to be taking some shots and, It'll be really cool, really fun to watch this, uh, watch the fireworks and see this, you know, Penn State defense show up and, and do what they've been hopefully being able to do what they've been doing all season. Um, you're seeing a, a top 10 quarterback and running back at Ole Miss. Um, you know, both teams are in the top 12 turnover margin. They're both very stingy. Um, and uh, I think what's also kind of cool is the Ole Miss hurry up offense against this Penn state defense might be interesting to watch that too. see how that changes the dynamic. Oh yeah. And Ole Miss plays fast. Yes. They go snap to snap really quick. Exactly. So I'm, I think that might be kind of cool. Interesting to see here um, how yep. Penn state handles that. And uh, what else do I have? Um, sorry. I'm just, I lost my place in my notes. No, that's fine. I'll say I'm wondering who's more invested in this game. Penn State and Ole Miss both had college football playoff aspirations. Who can get more excited about this game, I think, is a real question. And again, we'll come down to the head coaches and who does a better job of motivating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I agree. I think that it's going to be interesting. I'm not entirely sure. I feel like Franklin, I saw him in the interview earlier this week, and he seems just a little... 
I don't know. He's he's clearly disappointed on how the season went. I think he was hoping to 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 at least take out you know one Michigan or or Ohio State. And again, he's he's yeah. ten to two again, and must be a nice place to be. But um, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> like those sound like terrible problems to have. Uh, <clears throat> but um, only a top ten team. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I'm not sure. You're right. Like I, I and I feel he seemed a little you know a little too relaxed, which is, I feel like he's usually a little bit more energetic and and passionate and it just didn't seem like it was really there. And we know Lane Kiffin is going to bring it because Lane Kiffin's out of his damn mind. And and, (laughs) and so it's going to be interesting, man. You know, I, I, uh, I, you're right. I think it's going to come down to who's more motivated because these are pretty even teams in respectively. I think, uh, you know, obviously Penn state's defense is on another level, but, you know, if they're not there, if they're not awake and they fall asleep through the first half and, you know, come in, start, start playing too late. You know, this could be out of hand by then and they might not be able to come back. Well, and what does the pass rush look like without Chop Robinson? Yeah. Because when he did, I think, didn't he sit out a game this year and they didn't look as good? Yep. And I so, can't remember what, team that, or what game that was. I can't yeah. either, but I remember their pass rush not being as effective. And yep. so they're going to have to find a way to be effective because you can't let Jackson's dart just sit back there and pick you apart. Nope. Because he will do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and without Manny Diaz, I think, I think you know, again, the, the game plan is probably largely in place. I don't think it's going to hurt Penn State not to have Manny Diaz in this game. Um, Drew Aller has shown a lot, but he hasn't quieted all the doubters yet. This having a big game on a big stage would propel him into the offseason with a lot of confidence, I think. Drew Aller is a guy who's had a good but not great year. If he could get a big win here and go into the offseason, say, hey, we went 11-2, and won a major bowl game, that could give him a lot of moxie going into next season, I think. Mm -hmm. And I want to see if the running game is going to look... You know, I mean, it, it's been solid, but I want to see him look a little bit better to what we I think we were expecting in the preseason. Yeah, I want to see more explosive plays in the running game. Period. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it is it's weird that there haven't been more on. Honestly, it'll be, you know, James Franklin made the switch at offensive coordinator. He changes offensive coordinators like we change pairs of pants, seemingly. Yep. Um, But maybe I think this time he might have finally gotten the right guy. So. It'll be interesting to see that going into next season. Obviously, the OC isn't coaching the bowl game, I don't think. Yeah. But but that'll be something to track going into the offseason. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really exciting game. My last question is, can Penn State stop Jackson Dart from extending plays and hurting them with his feet? That's mm-hmm. going to be key if Penn State wants to win. They can't be letting Dart scramble for first downs all game. They have to contain him in the pocket and make him live there. Yeah. Not get out on the run. Which I think, I mean, they have the personnel to do it, but yeah, we'll see. For sure. He's dangerous. All right. Should we pick it? Yep. I have got, I just think Penn State is a deeper, more talented team. I do. I I think it'll be a really close game. I think Lane Kiffin's a really good coach, but I think Penn State just has more dudes than Ole Miss does. So I've got Penn State Nittany Lions 31 the Ole Miss Rebels, 28. Okay. I've got Penn State, 35. I do think that they're going to be able to get their running game going, and it's going to open up that passing game, and Aller is going to look a little bit better here. 
<clears throat> and I have Ole Miss 21. All right. Moving on. The Trans Perfect Music City Bowl. Perfect. Wow. Played in Nissan Stadium. Nissan Stadium is the home of the Tennessee Titans NFL team and also the Tennessee State University Tigers. So I'm just giving everyone a stadium fact. That's what we're doing for all these games. Because I thought, why not? Love it. All right. We've got six and six Auburn of the SEC versus seven and five Maryland of the Big Ten. This game will be played Saturday, December 30th at 1 p.m. on ABC. The line is Auburn negative two and a half. Opt-outs, Auburn, no significant players. Uh, For Maryland, we've got tight end Corey Deitches and linebacker Jayshon Barham. So both players had really nice years. So Maryland will definitely miss them in this game. Um, Total yards, Auburn averages 356 to Maryland's 394. Yards allowed, uh, Auburn's allowing 361 to Maryland's 337. So teams are pretty similar offensively and defensively. Maryland's a little better statistic-wise, but they're very comparable teams. QB Peyton Thorne for Auburn had an okay year with 1,671 yards passing on 63% completions, 15 TDs, but also nine picks. Thorne also had 520 yards rushing this year and can hurt you with his legs extending plays and scrambling for first downs. Running back Marquez Hunter had 865 yards on nearly six yards per rush, so a very solid year for him. Uh, Auburn's a run first team, but when they do throw, it's to tight end Rivaldo Fairweather another all-name team candidate, and wide receivers Javarius Johnson and Jay Fair. On D, cornerback Jalen Simpson had a nice year with 38 tackles, three passes defended, four picks, one of which was returned for a TD. And for Maryland, QB Leah Tugavailoa had a really solid senior year with 3,377 yards passing, an impressive 66% completion percentage, 7.7 yards per attempt, 25 TDs, did throw 11 picks, but a solid senior year for Leah, who is great as long as he isn't forcing it and turning the ball over, which he still does at times. He's never totally grown out of that, um, even as a senior. So that's the thing about Leah. You get the good, you get the bad, and it's mostly good, so you put up with it. Uh, Roman Hemby led Maryland with 663 yards rushing on 4.9 yards per rush. With tight end Deitches out, wide receivers Jayshon Jones, Ty Felton, and Caden Prather will have to carry the load for Maryland. And on D, DB Dante Trader had 52 tackles, six passes defended, and two picks. So a really solid year for him. Uh, John, how do you see this game? I see this. Um, <clears throat> the I've got a lot of questions regarding Auburn. I am a little bit yes. concerned whether or not, like, because they, they lost to New Mexico State. Yes. But then they almost beat Bama. They did. So who is Both of those things happen in back to back weeks? Yeah. (laughs) So who is this team? What is this team? Are they good? Are they terrible? I don't know. Um, (laughs) But but at the the same time, I'm looking at Maryland and it's kind of a similar story. I think Maryland is a, is a little less Jekyll and Hyde, but not much. It, it, they can also be that way. Um, uh, I, I did see though that Talia is supposed to be playing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, again, as always, we're going to have to see if the O line shows up to help protect him. 
Um, you know, they're they're second in in offense in the Big Ten, which is amazing. Um, and but again, and going back to the same thing of like the question mark of with Maryland, like what defense shows up? Are they going to be the one that 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 is able to create all the turnovers and look fantastic and, and disrupt in the backfield, or are they going to be the team that just you know gets picked apart and um, doesn't seem to have any rhyme or reason to it? So it's hard to say, man. With both of these teams, this is going to be kind of a wild card for me. Yeah, absolutely. My my first question is: Can Maryland stop the run at all? If they can, it's going to be a long day for Auburn. Mm-hmm. If they can't. Auburn might run wild and that would be a major problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of learn I'm sort of leaning towards thinking Auburn is going to be able to run the ball against Maryland because Maryland is not the best run defense or hasn't been the best run defense. No. Um I'm wondering how will Leah play in his last college game? Will he be yeah. consistent, take care of the ball, or are we going to just see a bunch of YOLO shots deep because you know, he's done, he's finishing up. Why yep. not? So I'm hoping he can strike that balance because when he's on, he's a really fun guy to watch. Absolutely. Uh, when he's off, oof, yeah. Yeah, when he's off. When he's off, he's off. Yep. Um, again, in bowl season, always a question, who wants this bowl more? I think these teams are pretty evenly matched. It could come down to who's more motivated to be there. I think they should both be motivated to be there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see you know, how that how that shakes out. And ultimately, who wins the turnover battle? I think I expect fireworks and a lot of offense in this game from both sides. It could come down to who limits mistakes and has the fewest turnovers and penalties. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, uh, it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be interesting. Um, we're going to see what happens. So, But uh, I am leaning, I think, towards Maryland. Just if I hadn't seen Auburn lose to New Mexico State, um, I, you know, I might be and get yeah. pushed around. Yeah. So I, I got to go with Maryland just because of that. So what's your score? I have Maryland 28 Auburn 17. Okay. I think this game is going to have a bunch of turnovers and a bunch of offense. I think it's going to be a lot of fun and there's going to be a lot of points scored. And we're going to look back at the end of bowl season and be like, Hey, that Maryland Auburn game, that was a good time. (laughs) So I've got the Maryland Terrapins 35 Auburn Tigers 31. Oh, okay. I think it's going to go. I think it's going to go bananas. I do. I love it. Yeah. It's going to be a defense is optional kind of game is how I'm seeing it. All right. Next up, we've got the ReliaQuest Bowl, which was formerly known as the Outback Bowl for a long time, which we are familiar with, of course. Yes. Um, It's played in Raymond James Stadium. This stadium is home to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the University of South Florida Bulls. It this game will feature or it's play will be played on Monday, January 1st at 11 a.m. on ESPN 2. And we'll feature the seven and five Wisconsin Badgers of the Big Ten versus the nine and three LSU Tigers of the SEC. The line is LSU negative eleven. Opt outs. Wisconsin star running back Braylon Allen opting out. Wide receivers Kim Radike and Skylar Bell opting out. So for LSU, no significant players have announced opting out yet, but we have to watch out for Jaden Daniels and Malik Neighbors. Um, they haven't opted out yet, but it's rumored they could opt out. It'll be really interesting to see if they play or not. 
Um, that'll def- that'll really determine how I think the game goes, whether or not Jaden Daniels plays or not. I think I I do think I read that Malik Neighbors is leaning towards playing because he's just twenty two yards away from breaking LSU's receiving yards record. Oh, really? That's yeah. big. Well, then he hopefully will play. Hopefully, hopefully Jaden Daniels plays too. Yeah, you know he's a fun fun guy to watch for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, QB Tanner Mordecai of Wisconsin finished the season with 1,687 passing yards on an impressive 65% completion percentage, just 6.2 yards per attempt with six TDs, but four picks. Um, running back Braylon Allen straw that stirs the drink with nearly a thousand yards rushing. He's the most uh, here. They're the most dynamic playmaker when he's been banged up. They've struggled. So with him out, that makes Wisconsin a much less explosive team. Unfortunately, um, that limits the ups- offense's upside, I think, a lot. Uh, Wisconsin will lean on wide receivers uh, like Bryson Green and Will Pauling in the absence of Allen, DK, and Bell. And safety Hunter Waller has been a star all year for Wisconsin with an insane 113 tackles, four passes defended, two picks. For LSU, like we said, we don't know if Heisman winning QB Jaden Daniels is going to play in the bowl game or not. He consistently dodged the question throughout the Heisman process. If he plays, LSU is a big favorite, and rightfully so. If he doesn't play, my guess is the line shift towards Wisconsin somewhat. Not saying the Badgers will be favored, but if Daniels plays, it will make an enormous difference in this game, especially with Allen out for Wisconsin. Um, QBJ and Daniels put up video game stats all year with 3,812 passing yards, 72% completion percentage, 11.7 yards per attempt, 40 touchdowns, John. 40, 4-0, four interceptions only. He also put up over 1,100 yards rushing, which is just crazy. Those are wild, unrealistic video game stats. Wow. I know, right? Just when you see them all like that, that's it's crazy. Uh, running back Logan Diggs also had an okay year with 652 yards rushing on 5.5 yards per rush. And wide receiver Malik Neighbors had a crazy year with over 1,500 yards receiving well, Brian Thomas Th- Thomas also had a thousand yard receiving season. So this offense was outrageously good this year. On D, linebacker Greg Penn, the third, had a great year with 82 tackles, three sacks, one pass defended, and two picks. So great year for him. Uh, John, what are you thinking about this game? Well, did you? I'm sorry, and I think I missed this. Did you say Bray- Braylon Allen is not playing? Yeah, he's not playing. Oh, well. Um,. <laughs> okay yeah sorry uh i know that was really like my biggest question um you know i I think it's just going to be too much i I think lsu is just going to be able to overwhelm wisconsin um wisconsin's defense has been mediocre for the most part they've had some above average play here and there but i don't think they're going to be able to stand up to this lsu offense and and frankly i don't think um I don't think LSU's defense is going to have much much of an issue with Wisconsin off, Wisconsin's offense either. I think Fickle is a good coach. Um, I think he'll be able to maybe make a couple things happen here and there. Um, but I think essentially LSU is just going to overwhelm them and it's going to be too much for them to handle. Could could possibly be a blowout. Yeah, that's I'm kind of thinking that too. Um I think it really matters whether Jaden Daniels plays or not. If he plays, I think it's absolutely a blowout. If he doesn't play, then we get, you know, then it could be more of a game. But LSU still has all those weapons. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder how's Tanner Mordecai going to look. He's had plenty of time to heal that hand. 
So can he put up one more impressive performance before he hangs it up and calls it a career? And my biggest question, will the Wisconsin D be able to consistently get stops? They're going to need to get stops and force turnovers if they're going to have a chance in this game. I think they'll, you know, I think for a time, you know, maybe in the first half, they might look, they might look okay. But I think it's just the fact that LSU has so many weapons. I think they're just going to get overwhelmed and LSU is going to pull away pop pretty significantly in the second half is my, how I see it playing out. That's my thought also. So I've got the LSU Tigers 38, the Wisconsin Badgers 17. I have the LSU Tigers 42, the Wisconsin Badgers 13. Yeah. Okay. So about the same. Yeah. So I think Wisconsin will be able to do some things. I think Canner Mordecai will do some stuff. I think he'll move the ball a little bit and, you know, make some plays, but I just don't think it's going to be enough. Agreed. All right. Moving on. We have the Cheese It Citrus Bowl in Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida. This is a multi-purpose stadium that is also used for the Pop-Tarts Bowl. And the Pop-Tarts Bowl is notable because, John, I don't know if you've heard the story, but they are going to have an edible mascot at the Pop-Tarts Bowl. And the winner of the Pop-Tarts Bowl gets to go take bites out of the edible mascot. (laughs) Only in college football, man. Only Only in college college football. An edible mascot. How have we not had one of these before? This is great. <laughs> I can't believe it. You know, this is the cheese at Citrus Bowl. We could have we could have an edible mask. We could, they could make a giant cheese it. Yeah, I know. Well, they missed the boat when they they could have had a blooming onion, the edible blooming onion at the Outback Bowl. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I'm saying at a Pop-Tarts Bowl. So I know we're talking about the cheese at Citrus Bowl, but I am excited about that Pop-Tarts Bowl. Yeah. Anyway, this Back game is played between the 10 and 3 Number 17 ranked Iowa Hawkeyes versus the eight and four number 21 ranked Tennessee Volunteers. I wrote in parentheses, John, how's Tennessee ranked at eight and four? Huh? I don't know. Gee, can't be any bi- wild. No, like bias or anything, right? Like, no, that's not a thing. Not for a conference that had a down year on the field. No bias to still get their teams ranked. I mean, Eight and four Tennessee ranked. It's amazing. It is amazing. I don't even know what to say about it. Happens every year. Yep. Yes, it does. That SEC bias at play once again. Um, But anyway, this game will be played Monday, January 1st, 12 p.m. on ABC. The line is Tennessee negative eight and a half. Opt-outs. Iowa wide receiver Deontay Vines is in the portal. And for Tennessee, defensive end Tyler Barron. So both teams lose one contributor. Overall, this game has doesn't look like it's going to be too impacted by opt-outs, at least at this point, which is nice to see. Total yards, Iowa averages 240 to Tennessee's 454. But defensively, Iowa's allowing just 275 yards, while Tennessee's allowing 349. So Iowa has a clear defensive advantage. Tennessee has a clear offensive advantage. You've heard the cliche, John, of course, styles make fights. Well, we've got a clash of styles in this game. It should be really fun to see how it plays out. For Tennessee, yeah. For Tennessee, QB Joe Milton threw for 2,800 yards on 65% completion percentage, 7.9 yards per attempt, 20 TDs, and 5 picks. 
that's a really solid year from a guy who was an enigma for much of his career. It's nice to see Joel Mil- Joe Milton put it all together in his last year of college football. So good for him because he's he's had a very it's been quite a journey for him from yeah. Michigan and Tennessee and whatnot. Uh, at running back, Jalen Wright quietly had a thousand yard rushing season at an eye popping seven point four yards per rush. John, we talk about video game numbers over seven yards per rush. That's a video game number. Mm-hmm. An all name team member wide receiver Squirrel White led Tennessee with 764 yards receiving on nearly 12 yards per catch and two TDs. Wide receiver Ramel Keaton also had a nice year with 591 yards on 18 and a half yards per catch and six TDs. And yeah, you heard me, folks. The man's name is Squirrel. You have to love that. You there have you to. Go. Yeah. There's nothing there's nothing to not love about that. Nope. And on defense, linebacker Aaron Beasley had a nice year with 67 tackles, three sacks, three passes defended, and an interception. So big year for him. For Iowa, quarterback Deacon Hill finished the year with just over 1,000 yards passing on just 49% completions. That is abysmal. I will say that Hill played a little better later in the year than he did when he first took over. And he'll need to have a big game if Iowa's going to have any chance against this uh, prolific Tennessee team. Iowa running back LeSean Williams ended the year with 804 yards on 4.9 yards per rush. So a really solid season for him. And at wide receiver, Iowa doesn't have much. um, But, you know, they spread it around the best they can. Uh, For Tennessee, they call their offense. Oh, nope. John, what do you think about this game? (laughs) Um, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's definitely two totally different styles here. Um, I'm interested to see, uh, how many points Tennessee will be able to put on the board. Um, can Milton protect the ball against this elite Iowa defense? Can Iowa's offense score enough points against Tennessee? Um, and I did, uh, I saw in an interview that Kirk has said he's not making any change at quarterback. It will be. Deacon Hill. Um, the other thing I saw with Tennessee's defense is they had six DBs opting out because and because of the portal, and maybe that will help Iowa's struggling offense. We'll see. Um, I think if Iowa somehow is able to score early, um, they could win this game. Yeah. Do I think that's likely? No, but I think if they're able to do that, then it'll be really hard for Tennessee to fight an uphill battle. Yeah. I think if Iowa can run the ball, then they have a shot in this game. Yeah. I think that, um, Tennessee calls its offense, the veer and shoot in a way. It's basically the modern day version of the triple option. Only unlike the option, there's a ton of passing involved. It's a really fun scheme to watch. And I think for that alone, this game is worth checking out. Um, what will the Iowa D look like with a month to prepare for what some people would call a gimmicky offense? We've seen Iowa in the postseason before totally shut team down teams down at times. Hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how ready Phil Parker and Kirk Ferentz have Iowa to take on this, um, electric Tennessee attack. I'm also curious, you know, this being Brian Ferentz's last game, um, and, Honestly, is and there's always the question, and I know everybody speculates on this every year, but like, is this like, is Kirk Ferentz going to want to want to make sure this is also a 
a, a win for him just in case there's some real talk here in the offseason of him maybe maybe retiring. I don't think he's going to, but I'm just saying, you know, he's going to want to go in, want to go out, make sure he goes out on a high note. So, yeah, there's a lot at stake here, I think, um, personally for for the Ferences as well. Yeah, I agree with that. It is a big one. And for Brian to set himself up for his next job yep, and say, maybe have a big game and say, hey, maybe this wasn't all my fault. Yeah. Um, that's definitely something something to track there, too. I kind of see two versions of this game. So I've got the version of this game where Iowa's D plays lights out and then the one where Iowa's D only plays decently well. In the latter scenario, I think Tennessee gets a lead and while they don't score a ton of points, that the game is never really in doubt. Um, but if the Iowa D and punter Tory Taylor have big days, then I could see Iowa dragging Tennessee into playing the type of game they could win. SEC fans don't want to hear this, but Iowa's D is good enough to limit even elite offenses. Absolutely. Um, Tennessee's D isn't great. Can Iowa exploit it? If they can, then this is a game. If they can move the ball a little bit, pass the ball a little bit, run the ball. Um, but Iowa has absolutely has to dominate the turnover battle. I think if they're going to win this game, they're going to have to score on multiple short fields and you know, it's just gonna have to work out like that. Yep. Ultimately. I think Iowa will play well on D and special teams, but I just think Tennessee's offense is too strong and they'll break a couple big plays. They'll get a lead and ultimately either they'll blow them away or they'll just sit on that lead. Yeah, I, I think so too. I do see a scenario, like I said, that where Iowa could win this game, but I think if Tennessee, it's whoever scores first, I think is, is going to be the, the winner. And I can just, I think, Tennessee might ha- or has the ability to come out to a fast start and um, Iowa doesn't. So yeah. I think that they might be able to get up by a score or two early and that'll just, that'll be it. Yeah. That's my thought. Also, I've got the Tennessee volunteers, 20, the Iowa Hawkeyes, 13. I have the Tennessee volunteers, 20 as well. The Iowa Hawkeyes, 10. Yep, that sounds about right. All right, moving on to John. We have made it to the last game that we have to preview. Mm-hmm. And it's the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. So this is the college football playoff semifinal at the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl is, of course, a multi-purpose stadium that is home to the UCLA Bruins and lots of other events. This game is played, as always, on January 1st, 4 p.m. on ESPN. The 12-1, and one, number four, Alabama Crimson Tide playing against the 13-0, and 0, number one ranked Michigan Wolverines. The line is Michigan by just one and a half points. So it's basically just about a toss-up, folks. Um, Bama QB Jalen Milrow improved drastically as the season progressed and finished with a solid 2,700 yards passing just over on 66% completions, 10.4 yards per attempt, 23 TDs, and just six picks. Milrow is also dangerous with his legs, running for nearly 500 yards this year. This guy is a handful and will be the most dynamic playmaker Michigan has faced all year at the QB position. Running backs Jace McClellan and Roy Dell Williams both had decent years in a running back by committee sort of system, each averaged around five yards per rush, which is very good for a whole season. 
And wide receivers Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond are Bama's top two targets. Whether or not they can get open will go a long way towards determining who wins this game. On D, DB Terry and Arnold had a huge year with 61 tackles, 11 passes defended, and five picks. This guy's a ball hawk. You do not want to throw it at him too often, or he will make you pay. For Michigan, QB J.J. McCarthy finished with 2,630 yards on an amazing 74% completion percentage, 9.2 yards per attempt, 19 TDs, and just four picks. However, his last three games were some of his quietest games. He really needs to show up in the Rose Bowl, and Michigan needs to realize that they have to throw the ball to beat Alabama. You're not just going to line up and pound them and win. I just don't think they're going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Running back Blake Corum finished with a thousand yard season on 4.7 yards per rush and a crazy 24 TDs. And wide receiver, Michigan needs its top guys to produce. That's wide receivers Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, and tight end Colston Loveland. All three will need to contribute if Michigan is going to defeat Bama. On D, defensive tackle Mason Graham had a monster year with 28 tackles and three sacks. He also wreaked havoc on whichever player was lined up across from him all season long. This guy was a problem and often draws double teams, even triple teams. He's a force that Bama needs to neutralize if they're going to be effective offensively. John, this is going to be a wild game. What are you thinking about it? Yeah, I agree, man. I think this is a great matchup. I think that uh, the keys to Michigan winning this game, I think you're going to have to see Colston Loveland be a, a featured role in this one. Because Bama has two of the best corners in the country with McKinstry yep. and Arnold. And so it's going to be hard for Roman Wilson to get open and, you know, and the other weapons. I think Love, Loveland is just going to have to be playing out of his mind, which he can. He absolutely can. Yep. Um, I, I think JJ is also going to have to be a factor with his legs. He's going to have to be able to move around in the pocket and run, um, which he also he's able to do that. Um, I do have a little I have some concern with the loss of Zach Zinter um, on the right side of the offensive line. So we're going to have to see how that goes, because that could be a big problem. And you want JJ to be able to move, but I don't want him running for his life either. And I think Michigan is just they're going to have to continue to be methodical and implement that, you know, that boa constrictor mentality. And and I'm just wondering, you know, are they going to be because we saw them towards uh, as well towards the end of the season, not seeming a little bit more conservative. You know, they were methodical and efficient, but just a little conservative. And I want to see a if, lot more conservative. Yeah. I, I want to see if Harbaugh is going to open that up because they're going to need to. Yeah, you're not you're not going to just grind Alabama and win. It's not no, going to happen. No, no, this is a team where that's not going to happen. You're going to have to throw the ball. You're going to have to make some big plays. And defensively, um, you know, it's going to be. I think the key defensively is going to get those edge rushers getting pressure on on Milrow. You know, Bama's O line has been solid, but it's had some issues when it comes to pass protection. Um, Milrow has allowed 43 sacks this season. And I think Michigan also has the size advantage on the, the defensive line. So, yeah, there's a lot, a lot going into this. Um, I think there is a lot here that the teams are evenly matched in different skills, but it's, uh, Michigan definitely has the ability to, to win this. It's just, we'll see who's more motivated. Yeah. I keep coming back. Michigan did not get over 300 yards offense in its last three games. Yes, those were against great defenses, but that's still not a high bar to clear. And it's concerning they were so conservative against Ohio State, Penn State, and Iowa. 
Yeah. Um, I'm wondering how worried should we be about this Michigan offense? Because I'm extremely worried. Because what we've learned is that you generally need to score 30 plus points to win these playoff games. Yeah. Can Michigan do that when they need to get it done is a, is a question I have. Yep. I don't know. And as you've said before, uh, with uh, Harbaugh in the postseason, you know, is this just going to be another letdown? Yeah. Well, yeah, I wanted to come back to that, too, because Harbaugh has been really bad in the postseason. Mm-hmm. I mean, just terrible. I wrote, oh, where are my notes? I wrote down what his record. I think he's one in six at Michigan. Oh, wow. In bowl games. We know he's 0-2 in the playoff. So why has it been so bad in the postseason for Harbaugh? I know some of it. You brought up the point that he's often flirting with NFL jobs during this time. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you wonder how focused he is on the task at hand. And given that record, you wonder that. You would think this year would be different because he knows he has a real chance to win a national title. But, you know, until I see... Harbaugh show up in one of these games and coach the way he coaches against Ohio State, say. Yep. I want to see that kind of aggression, that kind of attacking mentality. Um, Because, yeah, if you show up and you think you're going to be conservative and just run the ball and not make mistakes against Alabama, they're going to tear you apart. Absolutely. Um, Alabama, though, they've been so inconsistent. The week before their amazing Georgia victory, they nearly lost the Iron Bowl to a bad Auburn team. Will they, they needed fourth and 31, was it, to win? Yeah. Yep. So will the tide show up clicking on all cylinders or will they be cl- clunky, clunky coming off a long break? Um, Saban's dominating the playoff. Harbaugh's been terrible, not just in the playoff, but in the postseason in general. Like we said, one in six at bowl games at Michigan. That's abysmal. This is Harbaugh's best team yet and the best team he will probably ever coach at the college level. If he can't win now, then when will he win the big one? But it's also against Saban, and that's tough because he's a mastermind, and he has perfected getting ready for these semifinal games. Absolutely. So that's really tough. I My question is, can J.J. McCarthy have a big enough game to offset the damage that Jalen Milrow will likely do? Because mm-hmm. Jalen Milrow will get his. Yep. Even as, good as this, even as good as this Michigan defense is, I think Jalen Milrow will, get, will do some things. Yeah. And ultimately, who wins the line of scrimmage? Michigan should win up front, but will they? Yeah. You know, they should be. On paper, Michigan should be the better team on the line of scrimmage. But I don't know. And Alabama recruits as well as anyone. So, yeah. they're you know, they're capable of it. Absolutely. <clears throat> it's tough, man. This is a tough call. I think it's going to be a really close game. I think it's going to be a nail biter to the end. And uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to see. I I'm hoping Harbaugh can get over the hump. Um, You know, I think uh, personally, I think Nick Saban has, has, has enough. He has filled his quota as far as title. Um, And uh, it's just, and it's also, this is as much as I'm, I, you know, as a gopher fan, let me just speak from that point. I'm not a huge Michigan fan. Let's put it I'm, yeah, but I'm a big, that but I'm a Big Ten fan. Yes, and I want the Big Ten to have a national title. It is overdue. It needs to happen. This Michigan team needs to make it happen. <clears throat> so that's that's where I'm at. Um, Ouch! I'm be, 
I'm going to be upset if Michigan doesn't pull this out. Yeah, I don't I'm I don't know if I can get all the way to wanting Michigan to win a national title because I just think of that little brown jug and how badly I want it back. Well, yeah, there's that. Yes. But but I do want them to beat Alabama for sure. I absolutely want them to beat Alabama and show that maybe Alabama, you know, especially after the way Alabama got into this playoff yes. controversially, you know, it would be good for Michigan to just beat them and put that to rest. Yes. I can get behind that. Yeah. Sure. I ultimately, I think Michigan's the more talented team. I think Michigan should win. And I reserve the right to change my mind about this game later. But I just can't get past the records. Saban has been brilliant in these mm-hmm. playoff semifinal games. And Harbaugh has been abysmal in the postseason. So, well, I think Michigan's the more talented team. Coaching means a lot in college football. It just does. And I'm afraid that I think that Alabama will outcoach Michigan here. Mm-hmm. So I have the Alabama Crimson Tide 31, Michigan Wolverines 27. Wow. Uh you know, I've I was going over this and I it's hard for me because I could I could see it go both ways. And Yeah, absolutely. But I I don't know if Michigan can win the national title, but I do think they can win this game. And yes, they absolutely can win this game. Michigan absolutely can win this game. I have confidence if Michigan brings its a game, Mm -hmm. I think they win this game. I just don't know if they're going to bring their a game or not. Well, I think they, they bring enough and I think Michigan wins this game. 34, 31. Ooh, high, even higher scoring. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. All right. Comes well, down we've to got some we've got some some notes to compare after this, John. I'll have to I forget offhand exactly, but we disagreed at least a few times. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to uh I'll have to go back and track that and come back and you know, one of us has to eat crow later, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and should we talk about that? We're gonna we'll, we're gonna come back and do we'll review all of these um, as well after bowl season. Yes, we will come back. We will do a wrap on bowl season. I know a lot of college football podcasts just let it go. They just they just say, "Oh, it's kind of trendy in college football podcasts to pretend like the bowls aren't important for some reason, even though we get so few games and the bowls are in, are more games." And so to pretend like somehow it doesn't matter or it's not reflective of the real program or I don't know. It's a really dorky thing that a lot of college football podcasters do where they pretend like the Bulls don't matter. And I know all those same people will be watching all the Bulls. Exactly. So don't tell me that they don't mean anything because if they didn't matter at all, you wouldn't watch all of them. And you're going to and you're going to sit there on your degenerate butt and you're going to watch them all just like I am. Yep. All right. Well, one last time, if you want to find We Live for Saturday, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. You can also find us on Twitter at We Live for B1G Sat, and you can email us, We Live for Saturday, B1G at gmail.com. All right, folks. Thanks so much for rocking with us. We are at 95 plus minutes. So thank you for staying here for this comprehensive bowl preview. 
We will be back to wrap up the bowl games, as John said. So get excited and look forward to that. And, uh, you know, tag us on Twitter. Let us know how your bowl season's going and how your picks are going. So thanks again for listening. For We Live for Saturday, this is Mike. And also my co-host, John. What do you have to say to the people? Enjoy bowl season. Yes, enjoy bowl season. Absolutely. Absolutely.